This is Living the Breed with Fox News Chief Legal Correspondent Shannon Breed. I am so excited on today's Living the Bream podcast to have the one and only Eric Metaxas, best-selling author. That just begins, that's the tip of the iceberg because there are so many things I could say about you, but I'm also happy to call you a friend. Eric, welcome. Well, I wouldn't go that far, but thank you. Oh, dang it. I thought I was going to sneak in the friend thing and I got no, cut off in no, the past. No. I, I just wouldn't go that far at this point. Acquaintance? Uh, Can we go well, there? I, I like your husband, but that, I'll, stop there. <laughs> I'll stop there. Yeah, He can vouch you. for me, though. Does that yeah, not work? Th- you know what? He does kind of vouch for you just by being your husband. So that's a good point. Okay, I guess uh, I guess I like you too. Hey, listen, um, I'm really psyched to have you. I want to talk about your new book that you have coming out among so many other things, but I think you have such a great voice too on what's happening in the culture, what we're seeing out there. You've got your own radio show every day that folks can tune in and check out if you want to give a shameless plug here. I do want to give a shameless plug. Actually, it's so exciting to me. I never thought I'd be doing radio. I'm doing two hours of radio every day, Monday to Friday. Friday. Uh, it's the Eric Metaxas show, and people can you know go online and get an app or whatever it is. But I interview all kinds of fascinating people, way more fascinating than Eric Metaxas. But I do know that you humbly <laughs> named the show the Eric Metaxas show. Well, it you just want to make out, sure people know what they're getting. In all, in all seriousness, it turned out that that title had not been taken. Well, uh, we you just we gotta be Eric pragmatic. Metaxas show, and I thought, you know what? It's not taken. Let's take. Let's grab it. You know what I'm saying? I think it was an excellent decision. You've made a lot of good decisions, including so many of the books that you've written, um, we became, well, acquaintances. I don't even know if I'm going to say that. I'm not going to say friends. Uh, But listen, I was such a huge fan of your Bonhoeffer book. uh, And, you know, I make everybody else read it. I lugged around the 700-page version of it. 700, 600, whatever pages. Yeah, it's it's, it's only 640, I think. Okay, well, I don't want to overstate it. There is an abbreviated version for folks who maybe don't have as much time. Now, honestly, I do not recommend the abbreviated version. We published it because there are some people who simply won't pick up a big book. Mm -hmm. But I have had had so many people, in, in all seriousness, come up to me and say, you know, I'm not a reader, but I, I couldn't put it down. Mm-hmm. Now, I, as a writer, when somebody says, I couldn't put your book down, that's you get a thrill because you say that that's my goal in writing. But I can be humble and say, truly, truly, the story is so amazing. Mm-hmm. That's why I wanted it to, you know, that's why I was willing to go 600 pages to tell it, because it is truly one of those stories that when you start getting into it, you kind of can't put it down. And I, you know, I was just thinking that when you have a life like Bonhoeffer's to tell, all you have to do is try to get out of the way, try to tell the story. But people come up to me every week and say that that the the story changed their lives. And I think if God is using me uh, to lead people to, you know, to think more deeply about God, about truth, uh, you know, through the life of Bonhoeffer and other things that I've written, that that's my greatest joy. So I I don't want people to be scared just because it's a long book, because I, I get that literally all the time. Mm-hmm. People say to me, I'm not much of a reader, but I read that book. So I think the story is just one of those incredible stories from history. I agree. And I think it's definitely worth the investment of time. Something that struck me when I was reading the book a couple of years back was how much there were parallels to now. Is that something you hear from a lot of people, too? Because I feel oh, like, gosh, there were gosh. so many lessons um, about that real life story all yeah, these decades it's, it's, later. Well, it's kind of it's unbelievable because when I was writing it, it kept hitting me that this is weird. This sounds very, you know, familiar. And there are spooky parallels. The question is, what are those parallels? And I won't go into that now. But one thing I will say is that with the uh, with the election of Donald Trump, a lot of people who were fans of, of the Bonhoeffer book 
were scandalized that I ultimately came out saying that we ought to vote for Trump. The, my main point was we can't vote for Hillary Clinton, and if she were to become president, it would be not only bad for the country, but I think ultimately devastating. I, I, I think that we're at a point in our culture where things uh, are, you know, if you push things far enough, it's kind of like going in debt. At some point, you can't go back. You're done. You're dead. You're never going to get out. And I really believe that, not just with uh, our actual debt, but with where we are as a nation in terms of liberty. I wrote a book uh, more recently called If You Can Keep It about American liberty. And I also think love that, it. And, and I think it's a long way around to, 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 to my point, but I guess that I have to, and, and by the way, thank you, but I I think that um, the story of Bonhoeffer, the parallels, some people said, how can you write a book on Bonhoeffer and then advocate voting for Trump? And I think they misapplied some things. Uh, and, and I want to make the case uh, extremely briefly, but right now, that the larger danger to us, the the, comp, the, the, the thing that would I would compare to Hitler and the Nazis taking over uh, has to do with what I would call a globalist, uh, anti-nationalist worldview. In other words, the view that uh, nationalism is the only evil. Hitler was a nationalist. The Nazis were nationalists. Therefore, we've got to be careful about nationalism. That's ridiculous. Uh, patriotism is healthy. When patriotism goes wrong, as it did in the Nazi era, it's far more than people saying Germany's the best. It gets into all kinds of other stuff. What we have happening now, I would say, is a healthy restoration of national pride and patriotism. And I actually talk about that specifically in my new book that we just mentioned, If You Can Keep It, because I say that that is what we have lost in the last 40 or so years. We've not been teaching our kids why they need to love America, why it's healthy to love your country. It's like saying, I love my family. I'm proud to be you know, from this state in the union. Those things, if you neglect those things, you really are doing a disservice uh, to yourself, uh, to, your, to your community, and to history. And so uh, that's something. I've gotten to uh, a lot of controversy because people misread the Bonhoeffer story. So I just want to be clear on that, that uh, I don't think that uh, that a lot of people are, are, are getting that uh, parallel correct. Those are very jingoistic comments. Here. I know. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay. So, yes, you were. We've had many discussions about this. You were definitely on the Trump train early on. And I, I know some within the religious community, you know, you got a lot of heat from that. People who objected for various reasons. Do you feel vindicated now? Well, well, n no, because I, I think that the people, the, 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 I mean, to some extent, yes, but the people who um, were upset with me, I find it uh, pretty heartbreaking, frankly, that, that, that people misunderstand, misunderstand the situation as they do. But even worse than that, I don't mind if somebody disagrees with me. If, if you disagree, you disagree. It's your right to, to disagree. But I think what has happened is people have gotten so upset about Trump that they've given themselves permission to be vicious, to be hateful, to say things that they really shouldn't say uh, to other people. I think that on on um, on the on the web, on Twitter specifically, people have made comments uh, toward me or uh, you know toward people who were pro-Trump as though we were pro-hate, as though we were pro-sexual assault, and 
I think that the, the conversation has gotten way out of hand. And so that that is lamentable. The fact that today, you know, a, a while after the election, a while after the inauguration, people are still, you know, acting as though uh, that this is the end. The country is, you know, going to slide into fascism or something like that. It's, uh, you know, to my mind, that's ludicrous. But the fact that some people still believe that really does upset me every day. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, you know, you've made your position clear and had a chance to, you know, explain before, during, and, and now after. And so hopefully people will, will hear what you're saying. I, um, I just think that it's his actions. In other words, we're going to see what happens. In fact, Shannon, listen, I will just say this. The level of bias in the media has been so horrific to me. Never in my life, never ever have I seen anything like it. The New York Times every single day prints negative stories above the fold, front page, that they seem to have looked hard to come up with. In fact, um, recently when uh, there was this big scoop that Trump's uh, tax returns were uh, leaked to Rachel Maddow and it said, you know, everywhere the news was that Trump paid $38 million Mm. in taxes. So the news is, by the way, he pays his taxes. So it's super pro-Trump news, right? The New York Times managed to find something negative and they they said... uh, that the only headline they printed was that he had taken a hundred million dollar write-off. That was their headline. Legal. Not that there was Legal, a scoop or anything like that. And I, yeah, exactly. And I thought to myself, it's one thing to be sort of biased. It's another thing to just throw journalism in the garbage and say we're just gonna we're just gonna advocate because we think that that now is the time to advocate for our point of view. <laughs> That's not the job of the New York Times. They should be ashamed of themselves for that. And so that this kind of thing really is upsetting to me that we have a culture that, you know, we're so divided that we're not even willing to give him some time to do some things. It's just a, a steady drumbeat of negativity. And it's just, it's a weird time to be alive. But ultimately, it let is. me say this, I am tremendously hopeful. I have seen so much good stuff that I, I just think that it's just going to take some time, but I don't think it's going to take too much time. By the way, you sound real smart, like you got lots of book learnings, like maybe somebody, <laughs> maybe somebody who went to Yale. Yeah. Uh, I got to ask you, what do you think about the stuff that's going on on college campuses? now from the Ivy Leagues, you know, to everywhere across the country where people have to take naps and safe spaces and shouting down people you don't agree with and banning them from campus. I mean, some places, violent riots. Let me just say that every college needs Donald Trump as president at this point. It's that bad. You need you need somebody in power in these colleges who actually has a backbone because all of the college administrators, administrators, I just did that like Bill O'Reilly when he does his talking points. He sticks the emphasis on weird syllables. It's the weirdest Syllables. thing. And I just did it. I just did it. Uh, no, but but the, the administrators at colleges, it is their job to stand up to this. And they seem unable and unwilling to do that. And so if you see a kid behaving like a jerk, um, do you blame the kid or do you blame his parents? I mean, when you see a, a, a five-year-old behaving horribly, it's not the five-year-old's fault. It's the parent's fault. And uh, college uh, administrations do not know what they believe. They don't have the courage of their convictions. And so it's just what happened really, you know, in 1969 when kids are taking over the president's offices at Columbia and stuff. You you have such an absurd uh, situation that I just laugh because I think this is not – people are paying $60,000 a year for, thi- for this. You know, it's it's really horrible. If I uh, had a choice, I'd send my, you know, uh, my kids to a college like – you know, the King's College here in New York City mm-hmm. or to, to one of a handful.
handful of colleges across the country where they won't tolerate I'm giving a shout out to Liberty University. I've never heard of it. Oh, don't even. You're no, no, be I, have an, I, have my bad I have an honorary degree from Liberty. <laughs> yes, and it's you my do. favorite of all the honorary degrees I have. It's my favorite. Oh, my God. You're so humble again. I'm just, like I'm just said, saying that. Of all my that. PhDs. Of all my honorary My Liberty degrees, University PhD is Is the only favorite. one that's currently framed in my office. Nice. Okay, I'm glad to hear that. Now, listen, I want to save time for the important stuff, by which I mean the ridiculous stuff that we have yeah. to get to. But I yeah. want to make sure to hear about your new book. You've been working on this for a long time. You've been around the world researching and writing. Uh, tell us about it and when we can expect it. Well, the reality is that that's what I want people to believe. I've just got staff that takes care of the writing. Oh, I've seen the pictures. Are, are well, those posed also of you me, visiting historic places and me, collecting let me, info? Let me tell you, the story of Martin Luther, I really believe that like the Bonhoeffer story, it, it blows your hair back. I mean, you can't believe the story. And I realize that most people I know don't know the story. This man, I think you could make a plausible argument, and I think I do, is uh, apart from Jesus of Nazareth, probably either the most important figure in history, the most influential figure in history, or one of a tiny handful. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't his intention, but what he did, it's kind of like the guy who pulled the plug at the bottom of the swimming pool. He never intended to drain the pool. He just made this tiny little movement, but it led to, you know, people diving into concrete and other bad stuff. You, you, You just don't know what happens when you do X, you know, Y and Z follow. The story of Martin Luther is just crazy. What what he uh, ended up uh, overseeing again, he didn't intend to. But the Reformation changed the world, and uh, I I was going to title the book "The Man Who Gave Birth to the Future" with a little transgender wink. But um, oh boy. I think that it's true that that the story of Martin Luther it's unlike any you've ever read before. And I uncover some some new things that I didn't I didn't think I would, but frankly, I did uncover some some new things. And it really is just uh, one of the most entertaining story. It's probably the most entertaining book I've ever written, at least entertaining for me and I hope for the reader, but it, his story in many cases is hilarious. Like there's things about him that you just can't believe what a character he was, the things that he said. Uh, so yeah, it really is, uh, it's exciting to be done with it, although the writing of it, for the first time ever, writing a book was uh, in many ways fun for me, and that, that usually writing is like lifting bricks. Really? I find that so surprising because you've been pretty prolific. Right, but it's it's kind of like, you know, uh, digging a ditch. I mean, when you're done, people are like, hey, great ditch. It must have been fun to dig. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't fun to dig. Not it's everyone has a best-selling work. ditch. You know a what I'm saying? best-selling ditch, right. No, but it's, it's it's really true that that there are moments of joy, but it is really hard work. And so the image of a writer, people say like, why don't you go to a cabin and write your book? Like, you know, or why don't you sit up by the pool and write your book? I think, you know, you, you can't, it, work is work. You can't get around the fact that hard work is hard work. And if you want to tell a story, you want to make it look effortless. You want to make it read like you're just breathing it out with joy. But the reality is that it is really, really hard work. And uh, uh, I don't, um, I, I, I don't uh, often look forward uh, to writing because it is, it is very hard. But in the story of uh, Martin Luther, in many ways, 
it was very entertaining. There is just stuff in there that just it just cracked me up, and I, I trust my readers will crack up over and over, and they'll they'll thank me for for putting that in the book because it's just too funny not to share. Uh, we will, and it's out this fall. Is that right? Yeah, it's out. It's out this fall. I should really be talking about my book if you can keep it, which is out. Which right is now. out it's now, coming, and it's honestly, coming out it's such it's a coming great out. read. Well, I know that you read it, and you you aren't just saying this, and so that means a lot to me because I. I am concerned about my country. I think that the election of Trump was able to pull us back from the cliff, but now we have work to do. And one of the main things we have to do is educate ourselves and our kids on what is America, why America is great, what do we mean when we say America is great? It means we're better than others, or what does it mean exactly? And what I say in the book is that it comes from the concept of virtue, the idea that we care about others. We care about Mexico. We care about China. We care we, we care about ourselves first because we want to be healthy so that we can spread what we have, our freedoms, whether economic or religious. All these freedoms that we have, we can't spread them if we're not strong. And so uh, it's, I would say, in some ways, the most important book I've written, which is titled, If You Can Keep It, The, the, the um, uh, Forgotten Promise of American Liberty. Mm-hmm. Because I think America, whether we like it or not, we've been chosen by God to be the freest, most prosperous nation in the history of the world. And we need to live up to that. And I would say that we haven't been for the last 40 or so years. And uh, that that's why I wrote the book. Okay. And on that very serious note, I'm going to take us down a different lane because now it is time for the cross examination. Uh-oh. Are yeah. we going to get silly? Okay. Ready. I don't know about that. It's up to okay. you, but I need okay. to ask you a couple questions in the minutes that we have left and we'll see how you respond. How about that? How about that? Go you ahead. have to make some choices. These are would you rather. <laughs> Okay. Would you rather never, ever be able to say what's on your mind or always be forced to blurt out the truth? Always be forced to blurt out the truth. You would. Because, uh, yeah, there's just, just, there's no other way to to live. Um, Blurting out the truth can can have negative consequences, but if I had to choose, that's what I would choose. This is right. Would you rather, okay, would you rather spend two months, you got to spend two months living in a nursing home or in jail? You can get a lot of writing done. Jail. You would. See, I yeah. love old people. I would like oh, no, to be I a love, nursing I home. Love, I love old people, too, but I think I could get a lot done in jail. I've always thought that. Is that bad? Do you feel like you're being overworked if you fantasize about going to jail? Uh, well, I think what it means is... Because <laughs> I'm like, I, I can get means, some rest and I think I what it means is that you're, you've never been to jail because jail That's is true. not what we think of. Uh, jail is, you know, not the level resting. of unpleasantness. So, so, yeah. So, now that you put it that way, nursing home. Okay, nursing home. All right. Now, because you are a New Yorker, would you rather live with somebody sharing a wall who is a noisy neighbor or has a barking dog that never stops? Oh my gosh, that is a bad question. I know. Do I get? Why I'm asking pa- you? Because you're so brilliant. A noisy dog. <laughs> I know you can a figure this out. A noisy dog that never, or a noisy neighbor. I think a noisy neighbor is too personal. I'll take the dog. Okay. Would you rather be stranded on an island yes. with someone you absolutely hate or completely alone? Oh, that is incredible. Somebody that I absolutely hate. Not First that there's all, anyone you hate. Now, that, but that's the point is that you'd have to think about what does it mean to hate somebody? Uh, are we allowed to hate somebody? Oh, boy. As a, as See, a I Christian? should have known with you that we're going well, down that trail as, before because, we could even answer the question. Well, yeah, because as a Christian, uh, Jesus tells me to love my enemies. Mm-hmm. Okay, would you mean? rather be stuck on an island with your enemy or right. alone? With my enemy. 
Seriously. Of course. When they drive what, what, you nuts. I mean, what is it? Well, it depends what that means. Who's your enemy? That's your mm. question, right? No, I, mean, I love who, being I mean, alone. I've got, I've got, well, look, 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 I love being alone too, but you're talking about being stranded on an island. At some point, I think you might, you know, crack up. And I think that, uh, you know, it's nice to be alone when you're often not alone, but if you're only alone for a long time, I think it could be difficult. Okay. Would you rather be very strong, freakishly strong, or able to run very fast? Now, I know you're a runner, so maybe you already have the running very fast part down. I'm not built for speed. I do like to run. I uh, Would I rather be freakishly strong? <laughs> no, it's so funny that you didn't say you're already almost freakishly well, strong. Well, I don't Eric. know the strength part. I just know that you... I, I know I, you're a runner. I've seen you bursting out of your shirts at the restaurant. Uh, <laughs> Maybe but, you also bench press 6,000 pounds. I don't know. Yeah. Well, uh, I can deadlift. Oh, my goodness. It's up in the uh, it's up in the hundreds now. Uh, <laughs> let me uh, let me think here. Uh, I, I really have a thing about running. I love I, I love running, and so yeah, I think I would want to, I'd want to be really fast. Okay, that's the end of our questions. But I oh have my God, to. That, listen, they were so easy. Listen, that was great. Well, listen, I knew that we could go a lot. We could go very existential on most of those, but in the seconds we have left, I just want to tell people they need to go and Google the video "Woven Lou." Oh, I'm so glad you brought I, listen, that up. That's please the whole Google reason. Google "Woven Lou" because that was once I saw that video, I knew <laughs> we would that, be friends, even though you won't admit to it. No, no. That video sealed the deal for me. We are not... What what I find interesting is that the... the, okay, I have to explain this. I've written a lot of comedy, a lot of humor. Uh, if people go to my website, uh, ericmetaxas.com, they Shameless can find point. it. I wrote it, but well, because there's no other way to find it. But I did a video with my dear, dear friend, Chris Noel, um, who believes in Susquatch, as I do. Oh, don't uh, start. We, don't we, start. We, uh, we made a video a long time ago. It's like 23 years ago. So if you want to see the young, grainy-looking uh, Eric Metaxas, it's really bizarre. But we made a video called Woven Lou. Woven, W-O-V-E-N, Lou, L-O-U. Just look it up, and it'll freak you out. Listen, you will either know that you love Eric Metaxas more than you thought was possible, or you're going to try to have him committed to an insane asylum. That's how good Woven Lou is. I want to do more like Woven Lou. I want to do more work like Woven Lou. On the the radio program that I have, oftentimes we'll do weird stuff like that. So that's that's to pique people's interest. I look forward to the sequel decades after the fact. Eric Metaxas. Thank you so much for joining us on Live in the Bream. And thank you for pretending to be my friend. I appreciate it. I'm going to keep working on it. Thanks, Eric. Bye. Bye. This has been Live in the Bream on Fox News Radio.